Okay, now we're hoping to get Chad on the air. Good morning, Chad. Yeah, you're in Wisconsin, right? That is correct. I spent a decade living in uh, the Minneapolis area, and they said, you're too weird, you have to go back to Wisconsin. Whereabouts in Wisconsin are you is what I want to know. Uh, Sawdust City, which is Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Well, I'm from Amory, Wisconsin. Do you know where that is? I certainly know Amory very well. Okay, well, that's where I grew up, a big dairy farm there, and now I'm a Minnesotan. I guess I've been here more than half my life. Now, you are coming over the border. They're going to let you come over, I guess, in uh, Minnesota territory, but you've done a lot of exploration of the paranormal and all sorts of unusual things throughout the entire Midwest. I look at the strange and unusual, bizarre folklore, legends of ghosts, mysterious creatures, UFOs, and anything that just is goes bump in the night. How does one get into that? I mean, I was just curious, you know, if you're from the Eau Claire area, I know there's the Ellsworth. They had that landing pad for UFOs or something because I had an uncle who actually invested in this landing pad and we thought he was a little you know whatever but that's the one i know about close to my i guess hometown yes well not only do we have the ufo capital of the world here in wisconsin we have three cities that claim to be the capital and that's what got me interested as a high school student and why people were seeing ufos i started studying psychology the next fall at college and that's what got me interested in why some people believe in the supernatural and others do not. And it just really went through grad school and beyond. So you have a, a major in psychology, is that correct? I did both my bachelor's and master's work in the field of psychology. I ended up doing my master's thesis on students' belief in the paranormal. So, you know, I've been, the greater portion of my adult life has been spent traveling the world in search of the weird and unusual. Well, how do you feel about it? Did you believe before, and now that you studied it, do you believe now, or where do you stand on all this? I think after 25 years, I'm left with more questions than answers. Oh, when I started out, I was more interested in human perception and belief systems about the differing beliefs in UFOs or ghosts. But then I would start presenting, and people would come up and say, I need help. I think my home's haunted, or I saw creature in the woods I can't explain. Could you help me? So I really shifted then to what are these people actually seeing? And I, I guess that's a question I still don't know the answer to. Well, you are doing a presentation coming up this Saturday here. Well, it's virtually as a part of the Blue Earth County Library, and it's going to be virtually for whoever wants to join. And it's at 1030, open to all ages. You sign up through our local library system. And you do this a lot of places. And it says in, in the little synopsis of what you're going to talk about, you're going to talk about some of the paranormal or things here in our area. Can you talk a little bit about some of those? What can we expect? I mean, are there things around here that obviously I'm not aware of, but maybe others are? Well, you're right that this is going to be a visual road trip to some of the weirdest creatures Minnesota has to offer. I'm going to cover the entire state of the most bizarre cases, but also people want to know what's in my own backyard. And one of my favorite stories is right where a lot of your listeners are probably coming from, Mankato. It's the Calvary Cemetery. And it's the first mausoleum built in Mankato, Dr. Fallman's uh, uh, mausoleum, his crypt there. 
And by all accounts, he was a great member of Mankato society. He was a doctor, he had a drugstore, he lived a full life, helped a lot of people. So why his crypt would get a haunted reputation, I don't know. But since the early 1900s, it had this reputation of weird things happening there. And my favorite part of the story is the dare. Now, a lot of these supernatural places, they have dares attached to them where you have to do something in order for the legend to come true. And the dare out at Calvary Cemetery is that if you go to Dr. Fallman's grave um, crypt, his mausoleum, and knock on the door three times, your knock will um, kind of ring like some paranormal doorbell. And not only will you hear knocking coming from the inside of the crypt, some say that that will release some demon-like creature that will chase you out of the cemetery just for knocking on his uh, crypt. And it's a fun dare to take. It's uh, pretty cool. The, the mausoleum is just gorgeous. It's a beautiful mausoleum. And how the legend got started, the origins, I have no idea. So did you try that? I did. Every dare or place that I talk about or write about, I actually went there to try to investigate for myself. Obviously, when I went there, no demon consumed me because I'm still here, knock on wood. But I didn't hear any knocking coming from the inside as well. But you would not believe how many people contact me every year about these dares saying that mishap, misfortune, and death followed them because 99% of these dares, bad luck is said to happen. It's never if you do the dare, you'll win the lottery or find true love. It's always you know, death or ill fate will follow you. Well, now I had a listener call me because I was talking about you t coming on the show this morning and they asked, said to ask him if he knows about the woman ghost at the wine cafe on Front Street. Uh, there's apparently a paranormal group in town that is looking into this, but apparently there's some woman ghost at, at Front Street, of course, is the old downtown Mankato and I don't know, and they didn't remember what it was before it was the wine cafe, but does that ring any bells at all on Front Street, old downtown Mankato, or is that something new to you? That is new to me, and that's what I love about doing this. I've been doing this research for 25 years, and I'm still learning new cases every day. Another Mankato story I get is about the, uh, the a massacre and the memorial for it of people having odd feelings down there, a sense of dread, a sense of sorrow, and seeing spirits that they believe are related to that battle. Um, so that's another one. But the wine cafe is one I have not heard of. And it wouldn't surprise me because although we think of hauntings as being cases of suicide or untimely accidents or murders, um, every type of place can have a haunted story from a wine bar to a haunted cemetery. So it would not surprise me. Do you find most of these reports of hauntings or whatever come from some sort of tragedy or are some just, who knows, just sort of ordinary everyday things that don't have anything bad attached to them? The fun ones, the entertaining ones that I talk about that the media covers, those are the more sensational ones. But the overwhelming majority of people that contact me, they contact me about their house being haunted and they believe it's a loved one. They smell grandma's perfume on the anniversary of her death or grandpa's cigar smoke. And for them, they take comfort and solace in it, thinking that it's their loved one who has passed on to a better place. 
So for a lot of them, as weird as it sounds to the rest of us, it doesn't bother them. They become accustomed to it. They live with it, which again, if you're not in that situation, it seems pretty bizarre not to worry about some spirit in your home. Well, Chad, have you experienced anything, the paranormal? I mean, you go out and, and investigate, explore. Do you feel like you've actually experienced it? Or are you, like you said, you're still kind of searching to feel if what 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 they're talking about is real or not? You would think after traveling the world, thousands and thousands of places that something would have happened. But as of today, you know, little things happen. Uh, we hear weird noises on our audio recorders that weren't uh, audible to the naked ear or weird mist on our cameras that we didn't see with the naked eye, but nothing where I would say it was 100% paranormal. And you would think just by chance, something would have happened. And that's really difficult to weigh that against the thousands of credible, rational, logical people I've spoken with that have had some experience they can't explain. And these are everywhere from diehard believers to skeptics and everywhere in between. You also mentioned Bigfoot. And I know we've got our morning show folks here. They have even gone on Bigfoot expeditions to try to find Bigfoot. So they're true believers in that. What is your experience with working with the Bigfoot groups? Yes, of course, Bigfoot is perhaps the most popular cryptid or unknown animal right now. And I get reports of Bigfoot all over, what you would expect uh, up in the Northwoods with the heavy forest, the Bemidji Brainerd area, but also in cities like Rochester and other places you wouldn't think of people spotting it. So it seems to be in places both where it's expected and unexpected. And some people think that it's not really even flesh and blood, that it's not like a, just an unknown species like finding a new bear or something similar. And that may account for the reasons we don't have a body. We don't have evidence that uh, you could prove in a court of law, if you will. So I'm not sure. I get so many reports of people who have seen something big that they are certain it's not a bear, it's not a big panther, it's not a wolf, but it has to be something unknown. And usually it's just a fleeting experience. It's not where they watch it for 30 minutes. It's they're driving down the road at night, something huge passes in front of the car, and they're left puzzled as to what it was. Do you know what the closest city that Bigfoot has been seen in, in Minnesota to, to Mankato? Have, has it been in southern Minnesota, for example? Because I keep hearing, you know, Canada, northern areas. Yes, you get reports all the way from Winona all the way over to Pipestone of these places. And you would think out on the, the western prairie of Minnesota, you know, the grasslands and the like, you wouldn't have many reports. And it makes zero sense because there's not enough environment for the creature to remain undetected. At least you would think that it doesn't have that much, but yet these sightings still occur. And not just a Bigfoot, but all kinds of weird creatures from a vampire-like siren to werewolf-type legends, uh, hellhounds, all kinds of oddities. Do these things seem to happen more in remote areas or big cities? Have you figured out, is there any rhyme or reason why they occur in certain more populated or unpopulated areas? Not only is there no rhyme or reason to the location, but also the witness 
Uh, it happens to people who are out looking for it, people who are not looking for it, people who believe, who don't believe, uh, all genders, all belief systems, all ages, all religiosity, all educational levels. And that's the frustrating part. There seems to be no pattern to this. And where you could mark down and say every January 5th, somebody sees it in, uh, you know, Fergus Falls. That just doesn't happen. And that's the frustrating part of it. And also some sightings will have a rash of sightings, many sightings in a small cluster. And then you might not get sightings for decades in that area. And then they come back again, again, leaving you wondering what the heck is going on. So there's the lack of patterns, which makes it really hard when you're investigating, it sounds like. It really does. And that goes with hauntings and UFOs. Uh, hauntings are perhaps the easiest because oftentimes they seem to happen quite a bit where you can show up to a, a place or interview a witness and something may still be happening. Whereas usually UFO sightings are past tense. They already happened and you're there interviewing the witness. Same with mysterious creatures. Although you could narrow your area down to where there've been a lot of sightings, but that doesn't necessarily give you a better advantage to see some of these things. What defines a haunting? So, you know, we hear of haunted houses and Halloween and things. So what exactly does that look like to people? For most people, it's the belief that someone who has once lived and is no longer living is now living or inhabiting somewhere or something. For most people, it could be odd noises in their home. Um, a lot of people, it's the weird smells, as I mentioned earlier. For others, it's the actual visual sighting of what appears to be some sort of apparition. For some, it's more uh, poltergeist type activity where things move around on their own or they'll set something down, it will disappear for a few weeks and then reappear in the most obvious of places uh, seem to be thrown by some unseen hand. So there's really not a traditional haunting because so many people experience it in different manners. And that goes for people who are often together. I receive reports of carloads of people going to these places and some experience something and some experience it differently. So that is just so confusing. And when I said earlier, I have more questions than answers. That really is the truth. So as a young kid, when you were looking into this, did you feel like you had some answers? And then as the more you explored, the, the fewer answers you realized that you, things you knew? Oh, certainly. When I started out, I thought I was going to solve some of these cases, yeah. explain UFOs, and get a bunch of answers. And I learned early on that that wasn't going to happen for me. And I think if you continue down that road in this field, you will burn out very quickly. I shifted very early in my career to seeing it more as an adventure, that I love the folklore of these stories. I love documenting how they progress and morph and what it means as a rite of passage or a test of bravery, rather than trying to discover what these things actually are because that simply hasn't happened, at least to me. Now, do you find it frightening sometimes, or, or are you just sort of look at it with a grain of salt, like, eh, maybe something will happen, maybe it won't, or how do you feel going into these sorts of explorations? I always say that if you're going to these places and you're not getting scared, you're not trying hard enough. 
Oh, okay. These are downright creepy areas. Even if you don't believe in monsters or the Wendigo, when you're up in the North Woods in the dark, walking through a trail on your own, and you hear the wood cracking in the forest, it's impossible for your mind not to conjure up images of the Wendigo or something else coming after you. So I get frightened all the time. And for me, that's a good thing. Your senses are heightened, your reflexes are quick, um, everything else is on alert. So if there is a danger, not only from the supernatural, but also the known, a bear, a wolf, or some, something else, a human predator, um, you're, you're fully aware for that. So I think getting scared is a good thing. Have you ever been called in on like unsolved crimes or anything like that with your work, or is that completely a different field? Never have I been brought into a case at the request of a law enforcement or research organization, mainly because if there's a list of people with psychic ability, I'm last on that oh. list in the world. But I have researched many cases that are unsolved murders and mysteries that happen to tie in to a haunting or to a um, paranormal event. But it's usually just... Uh, when it involves the paranormal rather than a cold case, for instance. What sort of tools do you use to uncover some of these things? I mean, I've, I've seen some things on TV where they'll have recorders, special recorders and things like that. What, what are tools to do this? I think a lot of people get dissuaded from watching television and they see they have $10,000 in equipment and they think, I don't want to invest that. Right. And I think uh, they forget that some of the best research ever done was in the early 1900s by candlelight, where they sprinkled flour on the floor to make sure nobody came by. So these days, I've really narrowed a lot of the equipment I use. I'll have obviously a video recorders, audio recorders, motion cameras. Um, but in the years past, I would use EMF meters that might pick up any electrical or magnetic fluctuations or bringing Geiger counters to UFO sightings to see if there's some radiation. But I think it's important that we keep in mind that we have no tool that will detect ghosts or spirits if they exist. Uh, contrary to what you see on television, there's no piece of equipment that will beep or right. spike when a ghost is in the area. I don't know how these things became associated with it. Um, you know, why isn't it that this machine is beeping when there's a unicorn in the room? <laughs> um, you know, there's no evidence of that, but I use this equipment to try to rule out other explanations, rational things. And for instance, I had a gentleman just contact me recently. He said 20 years ago, he came to one of my programs. He was having trouble uh, with weird lights and orbs in his home. And he bought an EMF meter from a colleague of mine that picks up electrical disturbances. And he was able to trace it back to his big electric light on his farm, wow. um, giving off extra energy. And he had that fixed by the electrical company and all the phenomena went away. So he was able to use this equipment to get rid of any possible or rational explanation. So is that something you do is try to, like you said, rule out some of those rational explanations and sometimes you do discover things like that? I try to pride myself on sorting fact from fiction, going into each case uh, not believing or disbelieving, but seeing where the evidence takes me. And it's very hard to prove or disprove somebody's experience. 
if they saw if they say they saw the phantom pig at the Minnesota State Fair, you know, that's pretty hard to disprove that they didn't or prove that they did. But many times we can at least find whether the legend is accurate or not. And many times they're often uh, false, they're embellished or completely made up. But if, you know, if the legend is that there was a car accident and the family now haunts the secluded railroad tracks where it happened, we could at least find out did a accident really happen there. Doesn't mean the place is haunted or not, but at least gives some credibility to the story. Is there really a phantom pig of the Minnesota State Fair? <laughs> Or is there that... is. Well, what? there's. I should say there's reports of it. Okay, um, I didn't know that. People will go into the, the animal barns and they'll go into the pigs and they'll see what appears to be a nearly transparent pig in a pen. And when they try to get a closer look or snap a photo, it vanishes right before their eyes. Other people at the Minnesota State Fair think the Ye old Mill, one of the oldest rides at the fair, is haunted by a uh, former fair worker who shows up um, and a phantom bird shows up there as well. So yes, Minnesota F State Fair, there is something scarier than all the deep fried food there. <laughs> Good one. Are there other places in Minnesota that are very commonly thought of as, whether it's folklore or whatever, haunted places that we might be familiar with, for example? I recommend once this pandemic gets over with, that everybody heads to Anoka, which is the Halloween capital of the world. Right. They've been celebrating with their parade longer than anywhere else in the US. And I love Anoka because they have walking tours of haunted places. So you have this small stretch of a couple blocks of area where they have several haunted buildings and uh, places that you can visit with uh, learning a bit of history and mystery as well. The same goes for Pipestone and many other cities that have walking tours. Paranormal tourism is very hot right now. And But with the pandemic, has it taken kind of a backseat a little bit? Of course, the, the places that are public places have, like sure. the Palmer House Hotel and Sock Center or the Wabasha Street Caves in St. Paul. Um, but the rural places... I mean, you're out in these places where nobody's going to bother you, at least not anyone who's alive. So you have free reign to visit these places, you know, and it's the ultimate social distancing. Um, same as looking for sea serpents. Uh, Minnesota has many lakes, rivers, and streams that are thought to be inhabited by these giant leviathan of the deep. And you can grab your boat or your kayak canoe and go out on the lake be by yourself the entire time. And even if you don't see a serpent, the worst thing to happen is you spent a day at the lake. <laughs> that's, that's a great point. I, yeah. Now, what sort of books have you written? I know you've written a lot. Of, it seems like a lot of them center on the, the Midwest. And so, you know, creatures in Wisconsin and Minnesota, I think you have Iowa. What, what sorts of, I guess, other books do you have? Because it seems like a lot of them. Yes, and I focus mainly on the Midwest, although I've done books on New York, California, Texas, but I want these books to serve as road guides where I want people to read the book and then not take my word for it either way, but to get out there and explore for themselves. And what I think they'll find when going to these places is that often they'll have such a great adventure that they'll stop at roadside tractions like 
the biggest ball of twine or Judy Garland's birthplace. Right. I mean, this, the whole adventure of it. And I'm amazed that every year I hear from mother daughter weekends, bachelor parties, motorcycle clubs that go to these alleged supernatural places, um, hoping something will happen. So again, it is a, a tourist draw for a lot of these places. Now, you mentioned people smelling perfume or, or something that reminds them of a loved one. Every time I see a monarch butterfly, I always feel like it's my dad visiting me. And I don't know if that's just me making that up in my head, but it's just something that, that just is stuck with me. And so anyway, it's just my own little thing. You're certainly not alone in that aspect. Not so much in the butterfly thing, but um, seeing and noticing things that remind someone of a loved one that whether it's pennies um, or their loved one's favorite color or their animal, all sorts of things. And people put a lot of significance in that, that somebody passed away and they loved wolves and the person happened to be out hiking and saw the first wild wolf they had ever seen in their entire life. And people take a lot of comfort in that knowing. And whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I like the idea of it. I like the comfort that it uh, gives to people. Now, you're coming to Mankato. Well, not you're not officially coming. You're doing a presentation in Mankato this Saturday at 1030 as a part of the Blue Earth County Library System inviting you in. What can people expect? Are they going to have are you going to show slides of pictures of paranormal things? Are you just talking or what can we expect to see or hear? This will not be a boring Zoom meeting. This will be a visual road trip. You will get to see these places catch witness uh, drawings of the creatures, see my investigations, uh, see videos where I'm searching for these things. So it's really a a visual program that maybe will give you a bunch of ideas when things get a little better for you to venture out and go to these places. And I think it's, I think it's uh, lovely for both skeptics and believers because again, I try to just sort fact from fiction and let the viewer make up their own mind. It's free, open to anyone brave enough to show up. And and they can do it from the comfort of their own home, which is great. Hey, do you ever do um do do these TV stations cuz you've been on uh like Discovery Channel's a haunting William Shatner's weird or what and other things. Do they come to you and say we want you to do this or do you go to them or how does that work that they find out or get information that you do these programs it's unbelievable how many tv shows are on the air right now 90 percent of the shows that contact me i've never heard of and it's unbelievable that there's so many of them nowadays but often they're looking for something of a story they already know what legend they want to feature Mm -hmm. and now they're looking for somebody with some uh, information on that And that's at least how it was in the early days. Nowadays, it's turning more toward they want somebody who's had an experience or somebody that's going to come on and talk about their experience of being chased by a dogman-like creature or the chupacabra. Um, So TV shows are are fun in the the way that they reach a broader audience, Mm -hmm. but also they're highly sensationalized when you're on them and sometimes they sway a little bit off from the real legend. So, so sometimes they take, maybe put you out of context a little in some cases? Yes, you have no idea. When you're filming for three, four, five hours and they're going to use a minute or maybe two minutes of it, 
you have no idea what they're going to chop it up and use it for. I did one program where I was talking about a certain legend and they inserted that into one of their other programs about a different legend. Oh my. So you have no control over this. And oftentimes they have almost a script that they they want the episode to go a certain way. So it's, it's kind of funny. You're telling a story of maybe someone drowning in a river and then haunting it. And maybe they were intoxicated at the time. So you'll tell the story the way the legend is. And then the producer will say, well, leave out the drinking part just in case. (laughs) So I always encourage people that when they see these stories on television, dig a little deeper. Well, it's been fascinating. We are out of time. We've been talking with Chad Lewis, who is going to be speaking here in Mankato. How can people find out more about your books or your works, Chad? Where can you go? Sure. If you'd like to contact me with anything, my website, chadlewisresearch.com is the best way. Or go to whatever legend you think's the scariest. You'll find me there. Are are you going to come down and, and um, check out the woman ghost at the wine cafe perhaps one day? I do lecture quite a bit in that area of Minnesota, in that region. So as soon as uh, the pandemic's over and as soon as Minnesota allows me back in, um, I'm going to be there. I'll check that out. I'm actually, uh, we'll probably contact them today to get some uh, research going. Well, I know our listener who called us, they may be in contact with you because they they called and brought it up. And I said, I hadn't heard of that one. I don't, they said, see if Chad has. So who knows, maybe there is something there and, and um We'll hear more about it. Well, I want to thank you again and look forward to your presentation this Saturday. Thanks so much, Chad. Keep an eye out. Okay, we'll keep an eye out. Bye-bye. All right, we there we go. That is Chad, Chad Lewis, who is going to be here in Mankato coming up uh, this weekend at the Blue Earth County Library. Let me get the details for you here. The Blue Earth County Library presentation. Uh, and he's, uh, he's going to showcase his on-site investigation of Bigfoot of the North Woods, the deadly sea serpent of Lake Pepin, uh, then the deadly or the vengeful witches roaming rural Minnesota, and all sorts of things that he's going to talk about, including the ghost of the Calvary Cemetery here in Mankato. It's Chad Lewis, who's traveled the back roads of the world in search of the strange and unusual. And that will be a part of the Blue Earth County Library's presentation, the Mankato Public Library, virtually at 1030. It's free. It's open to all ages. Go to the Mankato Public Library for more information on how to connect with that. Or you can check under chadlewisresearch.com. That's Chad with Lewis, W-L-E-W-I-S. So interesting chatting with him. And now maybe you've got something to share. And he would love to hear from you. It's it's always fun to, to learn and hear new things. Hey, we